We just celebrated my daughter's, uh, Finley, her name's Finley. We just celebrated her third birthday a couple weeks ago. And uh, the entire day was about Finley. And so, you know, we had pink little cupcakes because pink's her favorite color and she loves cupcakes. And we gave her this Mulan costume because Mulan's her favorite princess. And, and all day we, we sang happy birthday to her like 30 different times. Every time she got a snack, she wanted us to put a candle on it and sing to her. And so we just sang to her all day. And, and isn't it true that this is just kind of how birthdays are growing up, that, that it's kind of all about you. It's like all the gifts are for you. Everyone comes for you. Your name's all over everything. And it's all about us. And I remember several years ago, it was actually the, the first summer after I got married and Courtney and I were living over in this uh, little duplex out in Brentwood, the Players Club, if you wanted to know. And uh, that's its real name. And uh, we were living over there. And I remember it was on my birthday. And I just went out. I got up early that morning and took my coffee outside. And for whatever reason, I thought, I'm just going to reflect back on this year and just think about all the cool things that I've seen and experienced. And it's kind of a big year. You know, I got married that year. I graduated college. I started my first job. And kind of all these fun things. I was thinking about all these people that I'd met. Um, all the new students that came to the university that I was a part of. And then I started thinking about, man, some of the hard stuff that had happened that year. It's like, I lost my granddad that year. He was one of my biggest fans. He was just kind of my hero, my giant. And I was just kind of reflecting back on that year and the reality is so often when we reflect back, we don't just always think about the good. Sometimes we think about the hard stuff. And, and then it was this really neat moment because I thought, I don't want to just reflect back over this past year. I want to anticipate what this next year is going to look like for me. And so I just spent some time dreaming, hey, this next year of my life, I want, to, I want to run a half marathon and I want to do this with my family and I want to be a great husband and I want to be a better son this year. And, and I had all these dreams about what my life was going to look like the next year. And as a church, if this is your first time here with us or maybe this is the first time that, that you've been able to come to a birthday, every year we stop and we celebrate our, our birthday as a church. And I just want to be abundantly clear, we do not celebrate ethos. Uh, this whole day is not about us. No, we instead take this day to just kind of reflect back on all the things that we've seen God do. That over this past year, man, there have been so many people that have stepped into to faith for the very first time. I remember a couple months ago, kind of standing in the back, and there was this family here, and their marriage was just on the rocks. In fact, they'd already filed the divorce papers, and they were just done. And I remember just standing in the back, and I took this picture of them on my phone, and I was just, I've been praying for them and praying for them, and it's so amazing. A couple weeks ago, God just completely changed their hearts, and they decided to reconcile. And I go, man, I think that if we looked around this room, we, we would notice all these amazing things that God has done. But the reality is that it all hasn't been good and fun this year, right? That some of us come in this place, and it's been the hardest year we've ever had, that we've gone through things that we never thought we've gone to. And, and for whatever reason, we come into this place this morning. And so often on our birthday, we like to reflect back, but that's not the only thing that we like to do as a church. We like to dream about what God has for us in the future. That this is most certainly not a funeral celebration. A funeral celebration, you talk about what, you celebrate what life used to be like, and you celebrate the things and the memories. And this is not a funeral. This is a birthday where we dream and we anticipate, God, what is it that you have for us at Marathon this next year, as we turn three, as we move into four, right? We're, we're growing up, we're learning some new words. God, what is it you have for us as a church family? And so this morning I've been praying and I think God laid this text on my heart in Luke chapter seven. And I know that we're all in different places in our spiritual journey. And so here's what I wanna invite each and every one of us to do. I just want to invite you to, to let your heart be wide open to God and just to see Jesus for who he is. 
Because I believe that what we see Jesus doing in this story will have drastic implications for us personally and for us communally. So let's jump into the story. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. You guys with me this morning? Good. Donuts are starting to set in. You're getting tired, right? Starting in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, it says, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. So here's this scene that's unfolding. Jesus gets invited over to supper to this man's house, and it says that this woman hears that Jesus is in the neighborhood. She goes to Jesus. Now, this is a little strange for us, you know, just thinking, you know, Jill, if you and Logan invited me in court and Finley and Jones over to our house and Andrew and Keela caught wind of it and they just showed up, like culturally, that's just not how things work, right, in America. But, but in their society, like when people would throw dinner parties and they would have people over for supper, it wasn't uncommon for people to find out about it and just to show up without an invitation. And so, so often what would happen in the first century is that the dinner guests would be sitting at the table and people would be scattered all around the room just sitting at the wall sitting around the walls, listening, even contributing to conversation. And here's what I found so intriguing about the story. It's not that the woman showed up for dinner, but what she does when she arrives. And we get this beautiful glimpse into this one woman's life. And what you see as you look at this woman in Luke chapter 7 is that there's just this real desire, this real determination to get to Jesus, to encounter him personally. I love that the woman doesn't ask Jesus when she shows up. She doesn't ask him to go into a different room so she can have a private conversation with him. And, and she doesn't ask Jesus to come outside so, so she can uh, talk to him and then let her in on her life. No, in the, in the midst of this dinner party, as people are sitting around the table with Jesus, she walks in and she just becomes undone. That there is something in her that when she encounters Jesus, she just loses it and it says that she starts weeping and this is not just kind of the one teardrop uh, kind of crying it, it says that there are enough tears that completely wet Jesus's feet and I want you to picture this it says that she falls down on her knees and she sees that her tears are making Jesus's feet soaking wet and so you can just imagine her looking for a paper towel her looking for a towel to to dry his feet and she can't find it and so she does what is culturally unacceptable for a woman out in public and she lets down her hair she does that thing that all you girls do. and <laughs> She gets down on her knees. She starts drying his feet with her hair. Girls, some of you guys too. Uh, <laughs> your, your hair is your pride and your joy, right? Like Douglas and I don't have this problem. Our hair is not our pride and joy. Like, but you girls, man, you spend hours looking through magazines trying to find that perfect haircut and... And you go to the salon and you make a whole half day out of it with coffee and fun. And when, you have an, when you're having a good hair day, you're on just like cloud nine, right? Like, girls, can you imagine letting down your hair to, to clean and dry someone else's feet? It says that she then takes perfume. In our context, that's essential oils. And she... 
puts them on Jesus' feet. She begins kissing them. Like literally, this happened. You ever kissed someone's feet? We're like, that's gross. And the question that I want us to begin asking and be thinking about this morning is, is what happened to this woman? That what was it about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that made her respond like this? What was it about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that made her respond like this? I want to kind of tuck this question away. We're going to come back to this. Let's keep going in the story. Verse 39. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this woman doing this, he said to himself, if Jesus, if this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is. She is a sinner. And just like we get this glimpse into this one woman's life, we get this glimpse into this one man's life as well. And we discover a lot of things, but two things that I just kind of want to point out this morning about him. The first thing is this, that you get the sense that this man feels like he belongs, that he has value and worth to God because of what he has done. You see, Pharisees, it mentions that this guy was a Pharisee. They were people who prided themselves in, in keeping this and obeying the commandments. Pharisees were workaholics for God and they were really good at their job. The Pharisees in the first century, they weren't just known for their desire to keep the commandments. They were known for their ability to live out the commandments. And so people knew that, that these were the, the good church people the people that, that you and I like to hate, the kind of people who just never seem to mess up, who never stay at home to watch a football game and miss church, the type of people that never seem to struggle with the things that real people seem to struggle with, doubt and anger and lust and jealousy. And, and you get the picture in this guy's life, whose name is Simon, that he is just incredibly self-righteous that as this man looks at his life and how he has lived, he thinks God is pleased with him because of how good he has been, because of his ability to keep the commandments of God. The second thing that we learn about this guy this morning is that he has this just deep-seated belief, deep in his heart, that, that he believes that those who have messed up, those who sin, have no place in the company of the righteous, much less in the presence of God. You get the sense as we read through Luke chapter seven that this guy believes that God has no room for sinful people. And I love what Jesus does because man, he's, Jesus is so kind and so faithful and so loving and he has something to teach Simon about what God is actually like. Jesus says to him in verse 40, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Jesus says in verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And so in their context, a denarii was worth one um, day's work. And so 500 denarii, this is essentially equivalent to a year and a half of wages. And so Drew, it's like, think about what you make in a year and a half and a uh, year and a half. And, and this is one guy's salary. Cyrus, the uh, 50 denarii is like two months salary. And so you think about what you make in two months. And, and this is a picture that Jesus, that these people would have understand culturally that we so often miss out. He says that this certain money lender goes to two people who were in debt to him and one owed him a year and a half worth of salary. The other owed him six months or two months worth of salary. Keeps going in verse 42. Jesus keeps telling the story. He says, neither of the guys, neither of the people had the money to pay the money lender back. 
So the moneylender forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. We learn two things about God in the story through Jesus. And these are two things that I want you to, to really think about, to cling to, to, to put these deep in your heart. The things that we learn about God through Jesus in this story is this. The first is this, that, that he has come to forgive sinners. We learn this about God through Jesus, that he has come to forgive sinners. And the second thing that we learn is that he in turn wants our love. He's come to forgive sinners and he wants our love. Let me unpack those real quick for us. Um, this is just one little glimpse that we get into the life of Jesus Christ. What you would discover if you were to meticulously look at his life is that the resounding message, not just from his lips, but from the way that he lived, is that Jesus loves sinful people and that he's come to forgive sinful people. You know this because of the company that Jesus keeps all throughout the gospels. You see this in the stories that he tells, just like this one. You see this in the death that he died on the cross of Calvary. The entirety of Jesus' life was about sinners knowing that they were welcome and very wanted in the presence of God because Jesus has come to forgive them and include them. You see, Jesus reveals us something beautiful about this mysterious God that we can't see, that he has come to forgive sinful people. And the second thing that we learn is that he in turn, he wants our love. That the creator of the universe, he wants our love. God doesn't forgive us and he doesn't want our love because God has low self-esteem and he's lonely and he wants to gain some friends. And he hasn't come to forgive us like it's some publicity stunt that will notice him and appreciate him and like him more. No, he forgives us because God, the creator of the universe, actually loves us. And what God has wanted all along for Jonathan and Ben and Danielle, what God has wanted all along for Riley and Becca and Joel and Jennifer and Tyler and Paul, what God has wanted for every single one of us, Chris, Zach, his relationship with us. Like God of the heavens longs for there to be real love in our hearts for him. Mic drop, maybe? Should I stop? Let's be done. Is that a good ending point? That what God longs for is, is real devotion in our hearts. A real desire in our hearts to please him and serve him and include him in our lives. This type of love is what God is looking for in us. I was thinking about with my wife, Courtney. When I started to pursue her back in college, the reason that I pursued her, the reason I wanted her to be my wife is that I could spend the rest of my life with her. That I wasn't looking for someone to do my laundry and 
cook me supper. I wasn't looking for someone to, to raise my kids. What I was looking for is a partner to walk through life with. And I think so often we come at this whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing, very wrong. That we come thinking that God like needs us to be like slaves and butlers in his house. That for somehow the God of the heavens needs us to do his work and what the creator wanted all along, and this is revealed from Genesis to Revelation, is relationship with us, is life with us, is for us to have a real love in our hearts. Not an obligatory love, not a manufactured love. Like at the end of the day, a deep desire to connect with the creator of the universe. Here's what's so interesting about Simon. You can just kind of boil this Pharisee down like this, that, that he did not need Jesus. That in his mind, there was nothing special about Jesus. Jesus was just another religious leader, just another humanitarian of the day. There was nothing extraordinary about Jesus in Simon's eyes. And we know this because of what he didn't do for Jesus. So in their culture, to invite someone over to dinner, it wasn't mandatory, but it was common practice of the day to wash your guests' feet when they arrived. So in the first century, um, they walked on dirt, ro dirt roads, which they shared with animals. And if you've ever been to any type of parade in America where there are horses and mules and donkeys, you know what they leave behind on the roads. And so often dinner guests would show up, their feet dirty, covered in you can only imagine. It was common practice for the host or someone in the house to, to wash away the smell, to wash away the dirt, to, to let them know that they're welcome. It's also common practice to, to anoint a guest with oil. And we don't do that. That seems weird to us, right? Like if I come over to your house and you pour olive oil on my head, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. And... But in their culture, it was kind of common practice. And Simon, he neither washes Jesus' feet nor puts oil on his head. And you discover something about Simon in this moment, that he doesn't appreciate Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus. He has no need for Jesus. He's, Jesus is just one among many to him. And it reveals to us that he just completely misunderstands Jesus and what Jesus has come to do. You contrast Simon, the self-righteous Pharisee, with this woman, and I love that, that this woman, you notice in the story, she just goes to Jesus just as she is. Not as a person she wants to be, but as a simple person that she knows she is, a broken person that she knows she is. She shipwrecked her life, and she knows it. And I just kept thinking, I, I realized that there is a backstory to this woman that we're not even given. Leading up to this moment, it's pretty clear that this woman knew something of Jesus. I wonder if she'd showed up to church one, one day and heard Jesus teach. I wonder if she had heard what Jesus was like from one of her friends. I wonder if one of her family members had personally experienced Jesus. And many of you, you come into this place this morning, maybe you don't follow Jesus, but uh, man, you've heard of Jesus. You're the coworker who invited you this morning. They seem to be pretty like sold out for Jesus. Or maybe your mom or your grandmother seems to just have this real vibrant relationship connection with God. But, and I love this woman because she knew of Jesus somehow. Cognitively, she'd heard of him. Yet when she came to Jesus, she experienced him.
she discovered Jesus to be one who welcomes people into his company, who have messed up, who have shipwrecked their lives, and who forgives them. And there was something about being in the presence of Jesus that, that broke this woman and that awoke her to this brand new life. I don't know if you ever had one of those moments before where, man, you just, you did that thing that you thought you would never do. Or maybe you, you did that thing that you swore to God that you would never do again. And it's the same story, right? Like our lives are just stuck on replay. <laughs> Told God we'd never do it again. And then six months later, we do the same thing again. A couple weeks ago, I had one of these moments where I realized, man, that, that there were just some things that were majorly off in my life. That at the end of the day, I was living for me. I was out for number one. It was all about me and what I wanted. And there, for some reason, I just... Um, came to God, like fell on my knees, prayed, God, I hate that, that this keeps being the pattern of my life. I hate that I keep sinning, I keep stumbling, and, and I'm telling you in that moment when I was just being with God in prayer, there was something about me that my heart just hurt, knowing that I'd failed God again. You ever been there? Those of you who... who, who messed up, can you relate to that feeling where you've, you've seen how much God has done, you see how real, and then you look at your life and the fact that you let him down again and it just hurts your heart. And I think that's what this woman was experiencing, that she was standing in the presence of Almighty God and she was just broken over that pattern, that sinful life that she kept living, she kept living and her heart was breaking knowing what she had done to God. And at the same time, there was something that lit in her for the first time in her life. Have you ever been there? Where you go to God and God meets you with your sin and he doesn't meet you in condemnation, but he meets you with grace and there's something about that grace that just lights a fire in your heart to live for God. You know, God doesn't take it easy on our sin. I'm convinced that when we relegate God's grace down to this cheap, uncostly grace, as Bonhoeffer would put it. That we miss out on the gospel story. We miss out on the beauty of Jesus. We miss out on this grace moment, this light, this fire. See, I'm convinced that, that God has never been one in the business of sweeping our sins under the rug or just patting us on the back and we fail and going, it's okay, just try harder, do better next time. No, I'm, I'm convinced that, that God is dealt very seriously with our sin. We know that because of Jesus. That the reason that God can declare you and I, the reason he can declare you a forgiven saint, Jonathan, even though you've been a wretched sinner, is because of Jesus. Because Jesus was willing to stand back and clean up all the mess and take all the mess on himself so that God could pour out his righteous wrath on that. So that you and I, though we had sinner, though we were sinners, could be declared saints. I got this cool picture this morning. I was up at the cannery, up in venue one. It's this beautiful venue, the very top of the cannery. And I was standing up there and um, going over my notes and just kind of praying, thinking about this morning. And I think God just kind of gave me this image for this morning that I walk in and one, it was just trash. Caleb and Ashley were up there last night, just this epic Halloween party. And I walk in and there are just cups everywhere and, and trash everywhere. And you guys just did a great job trashing up the place last night. No? But you could tell whoever was there last night had a lot of fun. And 
there's just mess everywhere. And I walk in and I see this one guy and he has his broom and he has his trash can and he's already filled up like 10 trash cans full of trash. And I walk in and I said, man, this is a mess. I said, have you been cleaning all night? He said, all night. He said, you should have seen what the cannery was like. And it just kind of hit me that, that this was a picture of what God is willing to do, that, that you and I are just in this business of, of making messes of our lives and, and shipwrecking them and making choices and rebelling against God. And the picture of our life is, is like this, this room that is filled with trash and we get to leave because Jesus stands back and is willing to clean it all up. That this one man this morning was cleaning up all the mess made from last night and only Jesus, only Jesus was willing to step in take all of our sin, put it on himself. And that's the gospel. God doesn't tolerate us. God doesn't need us. God loves us. He loves us so much. Growing up, I'll say this, you know, um, I really believe that every one of us was made to experience this Jesus. That if you were here this morning, if you were breathing, you were made to, to know Jesus. And I think the lie that the enemy loves to speak to us is so often that God has come for somebody else. God has come for them. We so often fail to believe, we fail to receive this truth that that God has come for me, that God has come for you. We believe that that God is out for a certain type of people, that that God's favor and forgiveness and love could be for a certain type of people. And so often we never believe that God's grace, his mercy, his love, that his desire would be for us because of our past, because of our sin, because of our wretchedness. And yet in this story, we see that Jesus, what does he do with this sinful woman? Invites her into his presence. He forgives her. And I love this picture that we get of Jesus of a very personal God who loves us all, every one of us. I didn't believe that growing up. I didn't believe that God loves all people. I didn't believe that he really wanted all people. Like, I'd see my preacher at the church I grew up in. He was just this amazing man. He was like the man most like Jesus I've ever been around in my life. And I'm like, of course God could like him. Like, and I see the guy who uh, discipled me all throughout middle school and high school. And I'm going, yeah, of course God would love Nick. He's using his life for good things. There's no way that God could love a wretch like me in the sinfulness and the pride and the arrogance and immorality that I just keep falling. There's no way that God could, there's no way that he could love my, me for all that I've done. Then I came across this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that God wants all people to be saved. God wants all people to be saved. And I think we see over and over in the, the gospel stories that Jesus has come for each and every one of us. So here's what I want to invite us into this morning. That as we come here and we hear these words, it is so easy for this just to be another good story, a good feel-good story. And and so often we we show up here in church and we go, man, that's for someone else. And I want to invite you personally, individually, to come to Jesus this morning. Each and every one of you to, to experience the living God. Come to Jesus. 
Let him forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. Let him save you. Let him send you out full of his spirit. And I'm convinced that until we personally and individually let Jesus do for each of us what he longs to do, to take our sin from us, until we let Jesus take all of that from us, we will never love him. We'll be just like Simon. Jesus will be just one among many. But when you and I experience Jesus, the living God, when we realize that our failings and our sin, that in those Jesus hasn't come to push us away, to condemn us, but to forgive us and to bring us close to God, it's in that moment that we will love him. But we have to come to him. If you want to experience Jesus, you come here this morning having heard things or seen things but never personally encountered him I invite you to step into this relationship with him this morning that we have this trough set up behind me that we call a baptistry and we do this a couple times a year and I want to invite you if if you do not follow Jesus but you want to know him be baptized this morning Give your life to Jesus. Have the courage to, to step into this abundant life. And, and I know that I'm talking and so many of you are just kind of checking out and you're going, man, that's not for me. And yet the spirit of God is calling and inviting you. Come, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, experience him. He is for you. He is personal and intimate and real. And what Jesus, what this woman does to Jesus in this story, Jesus does for us in baptism. So this woman, her tears, they wet his feet. And then her hair wipes away the dirt, making his feet completely clean. She kisses his feet and anoints them. And in baptism, this is what God does for us. In the water, literally, we physically get down into the, go down to the water. We go under the water and we come out. We get wet. And it's in this space, it's in this going down and getting wet where he wipes away all the mess in our lives. All the rebellion, all the sinfulness, all the brokenness. And when we come out of the water, we are forgiven and declared saints and holy. And Paul tells us that we were given the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. That we were given the Holy Spirit, who is the ever-present presence of God with us forevermore. And I want to say this, water, baptism, it does not save us. Jesus saves us. Jesus says, there's nothing magical about this. This is not Disney World water. There's nothing magical about this water. Jesus Christ saves us. And when we put our faith in him, that, that he paid for our sin, that he died, that he rose again, when our faith, when we believe deep in our hearts, and that's all it takes. It doesn't mean you have to have the Bible figured out if you believe deep in your heart that Christ has come, that there was a man named Jesus who lived and died on the cross. And the reason he died is to pay for your personal sin. And that he rose again. He's in heaven. He's coming back for us when you believe in your heart. Step into life with God through baptism. You go, man, if, if Jesus saves, if, if putting our faith in Jesus is what saves us, then why don't we get baptized? Well, good question. Let me tell you. Um, because Jesus told us to. 
And as the Lord of this church, as the Lord of his church worldwide, we do what Jesus says. Always. Matthew 28, verse 19, right before he ascended to the Father, he says, go and make disciples and baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, I think in baptism, God gives us this moment when we get to celebrate that we are a part of the family of God. I think in baptism, we are showing that we believe that what Jesus did, Jesus did for me personally. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to experience this Jesus, come get baptized this morning. And here in just a minute, we're going to stand and Adam and Kayla and the band are going to get back up and they're going to lead us in some more worship. And if you want to get baptized, I'm going to invite you to go to the back, the respond banner. And there are going to be people that have red shirts on or, or um, lanyards that say respond on them. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, go find one of them. I'll be in the back. Come find me. Give your life to Jesus. If you come here this morning, you go, man, I want to get baptized, but I didn't bring clothes. I didn't bring a towel. We've got you covered. We've got clothes of every size. We've got a ton of towels back there. Don't let that keep you from stepping in. Some of you come in this morning and you want to get baptized, but you're afraid of the crowd. You're afraid of what other people are going to think. Oh man, that I can't get baptized because my girlfriend that I'm here with, she thinks I'm already Christian. And if I get baptized, it's going to expose that, that I'm not and that I don't really believe. And, and, and I just invite you, man, to, to come all the way in this morning. And don't be afraid what other people are going to think. Like, and, and you're never going to know unless you take me up on this. But, but this room will only cheer you on. And so often we do this culturally, but we'll do things that make us nervous in front of crowds. You know, on my wedding day, I stood up front and in, in front of Courtney, and I love crowds. I love people. But there was something about that moment. My knees were shaking, and I was so nervous. And, and yet there was something about that moment where she and I did this public thing that blessed the people that were there. That husbands grabbed the hands of their wives and they were thinking about their wedding day. Thinking about how they wanted to love their bride more. And I'm just telling you, if you're not a Christian, you give your life to Jesus this morning, there's gonna be something special that happens in the life of every believer in here where, where you're gonna help us relive the moment that we stepped into it. I invite you to, to be courageous, to step all the way in for the, for the excitement, for the building up of the church, but also for those in this room who just need to see someone else go first. They need to see someone take the step to, to step in. They want to, but they need someone else. And so I just invite you, man, if that's enough, I'm not gonna, if you want to give your life to Jesus here in just a minute, come find us in the back. We have everything you could ever need. Come follow. For the rest of us, we're going to stand in here in just a minute. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you. Uh, if you come here this morning and you're a follower, but you're just struggling, I just want to invite you to be prayed over. That Andrew has recruited like 10 people to stand in the back for the sole purpose of just praying this morning. And some of you come here this morning and you're just struggling in life. Things going on in your family, things going on in your personal life. You're struggling with fear or worry. And I just invite you to go to the back and be prayed over. Have the courage to just invite someone to help carry the burden. And I'm telling you, the, the moments in my life where I've let other people in on my life and, and really had the courage to share, there's something so amazing about getting other brothers and sisters to, to pray for you. And you're never going to know unless you have the courage to step in. If you need to be prayed over this morning, come and be prayed over. For, for some of us this morning, you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but the reality is that you love Jesus very little. And the reason you love him very little is because you've not let him fully forgive you of all your sins. That you've trusted that Jesus has forgiven 
most of your sins, but there are a couple of sins that deep in your bones you don't believe he forgives. And I've been there. And you will love Jesus very little when you don't let him forgive you completely. I invite you this morning, if, if this is you and you just, you want to confess, there's some people that you came with this morning and you just want to share, then have the courage and communion to share, to let other people in, to let people pray with you. We'll pray for you in the back. For the rest of us, we're going to take communion, we're going to take the bread and drink the cup. I love that in verse 50, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you, now go and go in peace. For a person this morning, for a follower who knows Jesus, who is walking with Jesus, who has been forgiven by Jesus, our mandate is not just to come here on Sunday mornings, but to what? To go. And so I invite us as we take communion this morning, as we dream about this next year that God, what he would have for us as a community, I want you to think about one person in your life personally that you love who doesn't experience Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus like you do. Any communion, as you're breaking the bread and drinking the cup, thank God that he found you and rescued you. And then lift up that one person and say, God, by the power of your spirit, would you use me this year to play a part in helping them come to know you? And then as you leave here today, just be committed to walking, to inviting, to sharing, to praying. And I hope next year on our birthday as we gather, that this room is filled with twice as many people because of the people that we started praying for the people that we decided to, to go after, the people that we decided to invite to experience the Jesus that you and I know are here with us, not as just spectators, but as followers. And may this be our story as a church. Our journey with God isn't just about him forgiving us of our past, but about the plans for he has for us in the future. I love you. Let's pray.